Well, before we begin this morning, I need to share an important announcement. See, right now what's happening in your brains is it's releasing dopamine and norepinephrine because we are wired to search for stimulus and stress in the world. Now, some of you got really intrigued when I said that as you were sitting down. Some of you, your heart started to race and you got nervous because you weren't sure what was about to happen next. Some of you, both things happened. Novelty and tension. That's what's happening in that moment when I make this kind of strange, a little vague, cryptic announcement that I've got something important to share. You're like, oh, what is this? (gasps) What is this? This is happening to us tens of thousands of times every single day day through the messages the media the information that is being shouted at us scrolled in front of us this is how the world is trying to fight for our attention and it is having disastrous effects upon our lives and our soul and in a few minutes i'm going to tell you how we fight back see i just did it again This is how it happens, just over and over and over again. We create stimuli and then tension, and it causes you to lean in. Most of you, you are halfway through your grocery list by now at this point in the sermon, but you're like, well, where is this going? You see, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Science of the Soul, and what we are talking about is how we can take learnings from neuroscience use them to affirm best practices of Christian spirituality and have both of those married together to help us understand new ways that we can live into the wholeness of life that God intends for us. And so if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back. I won't recap it this morning, but I really encourage you to go back and check out week one of this series. Now, Back to all of kind of the requests and bids for our attention that are happening over and over and over again in our world. Listen to some of these pieces of information and statistics. This is as current as uh, this most recent fall. 60% of the world's population, roughly 5 billion people, are connected on the internet. Over 93% are social media users. According to online kind of watchdog agencies that track this, the total amount of data that is going to be created, captured, copied, and consumed globally in 2023 is 97 zettabytes. That is a nine and a seven followed by 21 zeros. A zettabyte is a thousand terabytes. That's how much information and media and opportunities for us to be caught in this cycle of, oh, look over here, oh, look over here, oh, look over here, look, 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 look. That translates into 5.9 million Google searches every minute. A hundred or not 100, but 16 million text messages sent every minute. 231 million emails sent every minute. 500 hours of YouTube uploaded every minute. 
2.4 million snaps sent every minute, 66,000 Instagram posts or photos shared every minute, 350,000 tweets every, well, maybe not 350,000 now, but like 300,000 tweets every minute now, and 1.1 million swipes every minute on Tinder. Uh Uh-huh. This is all happening every single minute when we look at kind of our global statistics. That's a lot. That's a lot of noise. That's a lot of opportunity for us to spend our attentions in all of these different places. That is a lot of novelty. That is a lot of tension. And it's wrecking our lives. The average person touches this 2,000 times a day. And since none of us here are average, my guess is this is way, way higher. 2,000 times a day we pick up our smartphones. For every minute a day that you spend scrolling, it translates into a one mile in distance every year. So if you spend 45 minutes a day scrolling, that translates into your finger moving 45 miles over the course of a year. Average is 45 minutes. Again, none of us here are average. So 90 minutes a day translates to 90 miles that your finger moves over the course of a year. Because of all of the opportunities and all of the information and all of the requests for attention that are happening through this phone. Now here's what is interesting, I think, is we have been duped into thinking that all of these things that are out there are good for us, that there are all of these products, that are all of these opportunities, all of these benevolent organizations that are creating things for our benefit and our enjoyment. And the reality is we actually live in an attention economy where all of these things are designed to get and keep and hold our attention because if you've ever had any experience in advertising or if you watched Mad Men, you know that if you can get their attention, then you have the opportunity to sell them something. Now, let me read you this quote from Sean Parker, the first president of Facebook. If you don't know who that is, this is Justin Timberlake in the movie about Facebook, the one who says you should drop the V in the Facebook. This is, this is what he says. He calls himself a conscientious objector now to social media. He says, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. They have and they are intentionally exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Now, the reason that this works and the vulnerability that they are exploiting is the way that our brains pay attention to things. 
And there are two ways that our brains pay attention. Involuntary and voluntary. Involuntary is located in the part of the brain that's kind of the more reptilian part of the brain. As if I, if I was going to take this phone and throw it at you, as it got close to your face, your brain would shift its attention to this object or projectile coming at you. That's kind of the more reptilian, primitive, kind of defense mechanism part of the brain that would eventually start to recruit all the other parts of the brain to tell your hands to come up, to protect your face, so forth and so forth. That's not what we're talking about, and that's not the part of human psychology that is being exploited in our lives, nor the one that we're going to focus on this morning. The other is our voluntary attention. And this happens in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. This is the part of the brain that is associated with like the executive function. This is when you choose to ignore your spouse because you are watching something or reading something or doing something. A deliberate choice at the exclusion of all of the other things. Now what they're doing is they're creating opportunities for you to become attentive to this new thing that's happening or this potentially you know, tense thing that's happening, which is why if you watch morning talk shows or you watch Sports Center and the morning programming. It is all about new ways that people are disagreeing with each other because for some reason that seems to work to grab and keep and hold our attention. It's not just happening on TV, it's happening obviously in our phones and in all of the ways we are plugged into the digital world. Because, again, if you can get and keep our attention, you can sell us stuff. And that makes the companies a whole lot of money. We live in an attention economy that is constantly, like the casinos in Vegas, trying to get us to keep feeding quarters into the machine. And so there are all sorts of bright, shiny, flashing lights for us to pay attention to. And it works in our brains because of the way that we can choose to focus attention. If things pop up or if we keep scrolling, we are searching for new hits of dopamine and norepinephrine. And next thing we know, we have gone down an Instagram black hole and we don't know where the last hour has gone. Because we have given our attention to at the exclusion of maybe more important things in our life. Now... Because we live in this attention economy, because all of these pieces of information and all of these opportunities to be distracted are happening on a continual basis, we now, in our brains, because we adapt and evolve and shift to our landscapes, we now live with what's called continuous partial attention. Used to, the average attention span was somewhere between 12 and 15 seconds. We are now south of six seconds. The average goldfish, eight seconds. We're losing the goldfish, people. Mm -hmm. The little bit I did at the very beginning, I knew that I could only hold the pause for so long before some of you would get disinterested and find something else to focus on. Continuous partial attention is the description of how we are constantly scanning for new stimulus new input, new things for new hits of dopamine and norepinephrine. Our brains are starting to evolve in the ways that we are constantly scanning all of the different devices and all of the different inputs that we have in our life. It's not just digital. So people, situations, environments, but also technology. 
We are constantly scanning. We are constantly giving parts of our attention to all of these different things because we are looking like obsessed addicts for the next hit. It becomes compulsive. We become obsessive. And it's hard to stop. My guess is, if I was to ask you all to bring your cell phones up here to leave them on the stage and come back and get them next week, you literally in the true sense of the word literally, literally wouldn't be able to do it. What if I just asked you to leave them for 24 hours? At what point in the next six hours would you start getting itchy and fidgety? And my guess is it's all of us, which means we have a problem. And because we live with this continual partial attention, in the short term, it's a way to navigate this world, but in, a, in the long term, it causes us to be overstimulated, stressed out, and it starts to erode our ability to pay attention to the stuff that matters. We live in a continual hyper alert state, and we're never able to really focus and give our undivided attention to the things that truly matter, to the people, to the situations to the spaces where we need to be focusing. We always are living, at least partially, distracted. Now, that word distracted is actually an interesting word. And it comes from this Latin word, which means literally to be drawn and quartered. So if you're familiar with those ancient torture tactics where you would take someone and you would tie each of their limbs to a different horse and then send those horses in different directions and as it would pull the limbs apart from the body, that is the origination of the idea of distraction. And as you think about it that way, it's kind of what's happening to our minds and to our lives. We are constantly distracted. We're incapable of being whole when we live with continuous partial attention. We can't be fully present for ourselves. We can't be fully present in our relationships. And we can't be fully present with God. And that's really the most important question, is not just what is this doing to our lives, but what is this continual partial attention doing to our souls? There is a Catholic theologian and author named Ronald Rollheiser, and he says this about the impact that distraction is having on our souls. He says, we, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Spiritual oblivion. He goes on. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are habitually too preoccupied to have these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. 
And he wrote that in 1999, before Steve Jobs created these. What would he say about us today? So the question that I want us to wrestle with in our time together this morning and the remaining of our time together this morning and the one that I hope that will begin to bug you, to nag you, to disrupt and disturb you is this one. Are you paying attention to what you're paying attention to? Are you paying attention to what you're paying attention to? Because here's what I promise you. You are paying attention to something all the time. It might be lots of things all the time that you are paying attention to. But the question is, is are you paying attention to the things and what you are paying attention to? This distraction that plagues us, that causes us to miss that which is truly important. It's something that Jesus teaches on and speaks into. And so I want to show you just a short passage in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus has an encounter with someone who is wrestling with first century version of continuous partial attention. You may be familiar with this story. It's in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Here's how the story begins. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what Jesus said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. Now, it's important that we note that, as is probably true for most of us, some, if not many, of the things that we are distracted by aren't bad things. They're good things. But as we'll see in this story, they get in the way of the best things. She came in to him and said... And asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Can't you see that I'm attending to all of these different things? I am consumed by, I'm being pulled in all of the different directions of all of the responsibilities that I have self-identified and taken on to do. Lord, come on, this isn't fair. She needs to share this with me. And then the Lord answers her. Martha, 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 Martha. Maybe he said it twice to get her attention. I don't know. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and distracted about many things. You are worried and distracted about many things. Universals don't always work in church, but I feel really confident this morning that this, this assessment would fit all of us. Maybe in different ways, and maybe in different amounts. But I, my guess would be that Jesus would look at all of us, repeat our names twice, and say, you are worried and distracted about many things. And my guess is for some of you, you've immediately gone to all of the things that you're worried and distracted by either because it's been a minute since you've thought about them and it's important to make sure that you send your attention back to them so that you can remind yourself of all of the things that are important that you spend your mental energy on managing and keeping your arms around. Or 
You've been trying to not think about all of the things that you are worried and distracted by, and now that I name the things that you're worried and distracted by, now you can't stop thinking about all of the things that you're worried and distracted by. So whether it's in, in this moment or whether it's in every other moment of our lives, we are worried and distracted about many things. But then he goes on. Jesus shifts it, and he says, but few things are necessary Few things are of most importance. Indeed, there's only one. And he says, Mary has chosen what is better. Not Mary has chosen the one thing that's good against all of the other things that are bad. It's not what we're saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. And that's not what's happening to us. Yes, perhaps our attention is being consumed by things that are harmful or hurtful to us. But for most of us, most of the time, what our attention is being consumed by are good things or value-neutral things. But what Jesus is saying is those things get in the way of the better thing and indeed the only thing, which allows us to call it the best thing. And then Jesus says, and it will never be taken away from her. What is this thing that Mary seems to be doing that Martha seems to be too busy, too worried, too distracted by? He doesn't name it outright, but based on the context of what we read in the story, it feels safe to assume that it's the attention that Mary is giving to Jesus in that moment. Her uninterrupted and her undivided attention. Another word for that could be devotion our focused attention on the good. Now, Mary Oliver is kind of a spiritual writer and poet, and she talks about attention this way. She says, attention is the beginning of devotion. And what I think is important about this is what is so crucial about the impact of all of our divided attention is what we give our attention to, we become. Our attention in our brains, the way that it works, functions like a spotlight or a magnifying lens. What we spend focusing it on ultimately shapes our, our minds and determines the form and the shape and the course that our life takes. This is why parents, you often say to your children, I don't like you hanging out with that friend. I don't like you spending time with those people. I don't like it when you go to those places. I'm not comfortable with what you're doing on that social media platform or the social media things that you are consuming. Why? Because somewhere deep down as parents, you know that what we focus on, the things that are influencing us, ultimately shape who we become. So for all of our kids and teenagers here this morning, it is not because your parents are mean. It is not because your parents are boring. It is not because your parents don't get it. It might be because they've read scripture and know that what happens when we apply our attention to the wrong things is it pulls our lives in the wrong direction. Now, parents, you're not off the hook because guess what? Behavior is learned I know. 
It's true for everybody in some way. That's the unfun part about it all. We all do this. We're all consumed, worried, and distracted by too many things. And the attention that we're giving those things is shaping our lives. And so what we need to begin to think about is what are we paying attention to? Are we paying attention to those things that we are paying attention to? And what else should we be paying attention to instead? Jesus lays that out for us. Martha, Martha, distracted and worried about too many things. Mary is attending to and paying attention to that which is best. We shared this last week, but I think it bears repeating because the way that we begin to attend to and pay attention to that which is most important is through spiritual disciplines. And so Henry Nouwen said it last week. He'll repeat it this week. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen to him. Now, the practice that I will leave you with this morning is taken from kind of ancient contemplative prayer practice. This was developed by St. Ignatius, and this was something that he felt was so important that he required all of his Jesuit priests to do twice a day. And this was called the daily examine. And what this would look like is having deliberate, intentional time in your day where you would stop, where you would take notice of what is happening in yourself and in your life, You would reconnect with God, and then you would allow that awareness of what's happening in the moment and of God's presence in the moment to shape kind of either what would happen in the rest of your day or the following day. Now, this was developed out of this by uh, our friend, my friend, Suzanne Stabile, in her book, The Road Back to You, and she calls it SNAP. So SNAP is an acronym I'm not always a fan of acronyms, but in this case, it's good and it works. So this is what can help us as we begin to do this. This is what can help us begin to shift our distracted, continuous, partial attention from all of the other inputs that we have in our lives back to the best thing. The first is to stop. This can happen of your own volition. You can recognize that, oh my gosh, I have been sucked into this and I can't blink because I'm so focused on what's happening in my phone right now, I need to stop. You can set alarms on your phone in the morning, in the noon, in the night. You could do it once a day and you have a practice where, hey, before I go to bed, this is the thing that I do. So many different ways that you can begin to start to implement the stop component of SNAP. But first, it's stopping. It's disrupting this continual partial attention and beginning to try to apply your full attention. The next is to notice. This is both internal and external noticing. So the first type of noticing is, okay, what's going on with me? Perhaps you're noticing that I haven't picked up my head in the last hour. Maybe you're noticing that you're feeling anxious. Maybe you're noticing that you're frustrated or you're mad, that there's some big emotions that are going on inside of you, perhaps that you're distracting yourself from or trying to numb yourself away from. It's beginning to notice the sensations, the feelings in your body, the thoughts that are in your head. And if you were here last week, as we talked about how we create this integrated mind that brings back all of our thoughts, emotions, feelings, bodily sensations together, this is part of that same idea. You're starting to become aware of what's happening inside of you. 
And then the external piece is you begin to notice what's happening around you. Are there people in my life who are waiting on my attention? Is there something more important that I need to be doing in this moment? Am I procrastinating from a necessary thing that I don't want to do? What is happening in my environment around me? Stop. Notice. And then ask. And ask is related to noticing because it inserts curiosity into the things that you're starting to notice. Oh, I'm noticing that I'm feeling a lot of frustration right now. What is it that I'm frustrated about? Starting to explore the feelings, asking questions. Why am I feeling this way? What is behind this? How long have I been scrolling? It starts to introduce curiosity so that you can gain a little insight into understanding and awareness around all of the things that you might be feeling. Why don't I seem to want to be proactive about the thing that I'm avoiding right now and procrastinating doing? Why do I have such resistance to picking up the phone and calling that person or going to that place or agreeing to schedule that meeting? Why have I been playing the same tapes over and over again of that conversation I had with my my spouse two weeks ago and I'm not seeming to be able to bring it up with them? All of these things that are happening below the surface and inside of us and around us that we're too distracted to be aware of. And then the last is to begin to pivot. Let's begin to say, okay, taking all of this into consideration, where is God calling me to adjust, to alter, to change? How in these moments can I start to shift more of my attention and awareness to one, what's happening inside of me, but also two, to where God's presence is in all of this? Stop. Notice, ask, pivot. Now, I know some of you didn't hear what I said about pivot because you're thinking about that scene from Friends. Pivot! And if you weren't, you are now. See how quickly we can get distracted? I mean, it even happens up here. Stop, notice, ask, pivot. Again, like the practice that we talked about last week of sitting in stillness and silence and solitude, this isn't magic. You're not going to do this tomorrow, and all of a sudden you're like, I am cured. Who needs this? But it is formative. And things that are formative, if you're consistent with them, are ultimately transformative. And that's what can happen with this practice of beginning to notice, to begin to be aware of God's presence in your life and drawing back closer to that presence disrupting our continuous partial attention, all of our distracted brain and mind, all of our worried, anxious, restless thoughts, and drawing back to the source. I hope that you'll try this this week. My guess will be for some of you, it'll be kind of a start-stop effort. You'll begin to do it, and then you'll forget about it. That's okay, pick it back up again. Keep showing up. You cannot do this wrong if you're trying to do it. You can't do it wrong if you're trying to do it. It may not go the way that you want to at first, but keep trying, keep showing up, and keep creating opportunities for us to give God the attention that he deserves. Let me pray for us that it would be so in our lives, and then we'll invite the band to lead us in one last song. Let's pray, friends. Gracious God,
in these moments that we take time to focus on you and to refocus on you. So God, in all of the ways that our attention is being um, competed for and vied for, and all of the ways that we are prone to distraction and to wandering minds, hearts, and lives, God, bring us back to you. God, draw us nearer to your presence and remind us of the life that you have called us to live. God, we are grateful for the way that you love us and the way that your love always invites us back into relationship with you. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.